TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I've got an important assignment for you today. I know you're going to be excited about this. Oh, okay. Microscope installation with Fiesel flocks. Oh, oh. Uh, I mean, uh, it's uh, the uh, plasma is running a little hot. Uh, I got to go check on that. So, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, Malcolm could help her out. I think so. I, I guess he can handle it. It's, it's a fairly simple process. It just starts off by inserting the thick end into this opening. Oh, oh, well, I, I think, yeah, uh, uh, that sounds like that's right up Malcolm's alley. <laughs> All right. Yes. Today we're going to talk about the episode in which Fiesel Flox, Dr. Flox's second wife, comes aboard to install a neutron microscope, but it's also the episode that delves into a very serious matter with T'Pol and her Pinar syndrome, and that's the episode Stigma. It is the 14th episode of season two. So, Matthew, let's just jump into the genesis of this episode, I guess, is maybe a good starting point. And it's interesting because this episode was part of Viacom's HIV awareness campaign in early 2003. And it wasn't explicitly created like there was a direction from the studio that you have to do an HIV-themed episode, but Rick Berman said that he and Brandon Braga attended this meeting where all the executives and showrunners had come together, and the network did this presentation that he thought was very well done, and it uh, moved them to move forward with coming up with a story that would fit into that, and they came up with this idea of mind melds being a taboo thing in Vulcan society, and that those who could practice that might contract a disease, and that those people would be shunned by Vulcan society. And I've always felt that this episode can feel heavy-handed in its message, or it can also kind of go past the viewer if they're not thinking along those lines. So it, it it's not heavy-handed in the sense that I think that it comes across that way to everybody. It just sort of mm-hmm. depends on how you approach right. it. But anyway, what are your your initial thoughts on this episode? Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about that as I was watching it, about whether or not this is in any way heavy-handed. And in that, I thought, okay, well, would I call then episodes of, of the original series heavy-handed, you know, right. when they when they deal with specific issues? And my answer was, you know, no, right? I mean, like the point of the episodes was to speak to a specific issue. And, and you know, I think that regardless of, of where you fall down on on some of the behind the scenes things that this episode might be referring to, right? I think anybody should be somebody who cares about people 
and cares about taking care of people. And so regardless of, of what type of disease they have or how they may have contracted it, the fact that anybody has any type of disease is terrible. And we as human beings should care about human beings and helping those in need, right? Um, and I think that really is what this episode is, is really trying to get across, is that idea. Because I do think that this is this is one of the things I it it all comes down to to how we treat others and um, whether we're going to treat other human beings with dignity uh, and with um, you know that that they deserve to be treated as we would want to treat anybody else or we just randomly start to choose who and what deserves to be treated like a human mm-hmm. being. And, you know, I I think, you know, that gets us into all kinds of trouble because the the societies that we've seen that begin to dehumanize people for any type of reason are damaging and wrong, right? And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so look, and and I think the the biggest part of it is, is there are so many big things behind the scenes, you know, that this episode is kind of talking about. But in the end, you know, I think the main core message of it, which is that every person deserves to be treated with dignity, especially those in need uh, from a physician because of any kind of illness, should be treated with dignity. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's something that we can all agree on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the point about physicians is a good one because it's interesting in this episode, and maybe it speaks to something about the Vulcan logic and how logic can be used to create that dehumanizing, which I guess is an odd word used for Vulcans because they're not humans, but devulcanizing um, view of people who you don't approve of. And the doctors themselves are not willing to really find a cure for the disease because they disapprove of the people who contract the disease. Right. And that's uh, a a scary thing to think of in our own world if doctors had that view. I think it's the the basic core of the Hippocratic Oath that... Mm Yes. You don't take that approach. You know, we see that. Mm -hmm. It's spoken to in DS9 as well uh, with Bashir... There's actually an episode by that name. Uh, But uh, all throughout Star Trek, we've always seen the doctors help someone in need, aliens in need, even enemies in need, because that's what you do as doctors. And then here you've got these doctors who are interrogating to Paul. They are refusing to share data that could be used by flocks to help to Paul. And they also seem to just be uh, taking a snail's pace at finding a cure anyway, because why would they want to cure a group of people who might disappear if they don't provide treatment, which is just mm-hmm. a right. you know a horrible thing. But I guess to that point, it tie the way that this episode mirrors the HIV issue. I think it does it well in that at this point in time, well, for Vulcans, I suppose that there's 
there's an understanding of mind melds and what they are because it's been part of the cultural tradition for a long time. But it seems that it's something that had been viewed as dangerous in the past and it's become taboo and maybe they don't want this to come back. From the human perspective, the idea of Vulcan mind melds is something very new because even in the original series, it seems to be something that humans don't really know that much about. And for newer Star Trek viewers who entered through Voyager or especially in these days, Discovery, the the idea that mind melds exist and it's uh, something that Vulcans can do and that Vulcans have telepathic powers. We see telepathic powers on steroids in Discovery with the way that uh, Sarek and Michael Burnham can communicate over great distances, right? It might seem like something you just take for granted as part of what Star Trek is, but at this point, when this story was written, it was still a time of exploring and kind of fleshing out what mm-hmm. are my right. nails, what's the background of it, what's the history of it. And, yeah. and so there's an element of ignorance, and because of that ignorance, an element of prejudice at play when it comes to Pinar Syndrome on the Vulcan side, and that's a lot of what was happening in our own world in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s with regard to HIV and AIDS and the communities through which it was spreading more easily. There was prejudice against some of those groups as well as ignorance as to how the virus spreads, which caused a lot of fear. I remember because I grew up through uh, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I remember very well what the atmosphere was like at that time. And so I felt like Rick and Brandon did a good job of of hooking into that to tell this futuristic story of this other disease, Pinar syndrome, and made mm-hmm. a pretty effective story to raise awareness of HIV without making it so obvious that that's what they're doing, that it's heavy handed as we were discussing at the beginning. Yeah, I think it's it, it's interesting when you think about this just from the Star Trek standpoint and uh, the fact that, you know, this series specifically decided that what it wanted to do was to explore Vulcans in a very interesting way and to not just make them cookie-cutter versions of the Vulcans that we already knew, but give them a place that they would grow to, uh, that we would uh, see them as a society that would change within the hundred years that that we were going to have between this and Kirk's time. And I I think what, what is very interesting about the fact that these Vulcans that we see here have a lot more in common with who we are, which is they are still Vulcans that hold to their own prejudices. And I think, to me, that fits so well within the context of this episode, right? This whole episode is actually about the different ways in which cultures clash mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and, and hold different value systems, where Within those a are single overall culture, so not human and Vulcan cultures exactly. clashing, but yes, cultures within the greater Vulcan culture clashing. Right, but I mean, but even in this episode, I mean, we have the way in which the Nobulan culture and the way that they oh, do sure. things yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. clashes with a, a more classic human understanding mm-hmm. of of morality, right? 
Um, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, but in that, you know, again, I think one of the beauties of the the way that the episode deals with this is 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 the fact that it places this within the Vulcan culture that allows us to kind of see a mirror of our own culture in the ways in which we may or may not be handling specific issues well and where we still need to grow. But in just Star Trek, we've already seen Vulcans have their own prejudices against humanity, but also against different sects of them, their own culture. And I think that to me, that's a really fascinating thing to be able to uh, deal with and kind of wrestle with in Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and I think it gives us the opportunity then, again, just to be able to take the Vulcans from one place to another, which is much more interesting than them just being this monolith mm-hmm. uh, that we already knew. Because otherwise, why are you doing this show in the first place? You know, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, there's right. no reason to actually do this show if you don't actually have somewhere to bring these characters and some place to bring these characters uh, and even the culture itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the Denobulan element of the story. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about because I feel like this episode is a particularly well-crafted episode. The story, the writing, is, I think, very skillful in that, as you point out, the Denobulan story is humorous, but it's playing the same role as the very serious Vulcan story, which is highlighting cultural clashes, differences in views between cultures, in this case, the Denobulans and the humans, when it comes to relationships, because Fiesel Phlox comes aboard, immediately starts hitting on Trip, and it's played up in a very comedic way where she's fully in control of the situation, seems to just be in... Well, I think she's attracted to Trip, but she mm-hmm. also seems like she probably is easily attracted to lots of people. Maybe maybe she's curious about aliens. I don't know. But she seems to be having fun making him squirm and right. making him uncomfortable. And so it's presented in a comedic way, more or less. But the... And Dr. Flox is fully on board with it. He thinks it'd be great. I mean, Trip's got to be crazy not to want to, you know, experience the magnificent Fiesel flocks. Meanwhile, Malcolm is warning him, don't make flocks angry. But the the moment where Dr. Flocks and Fiesel laugh and say, humans, I really love that moment because it just summed up the whole thing of how something that may seem culturally normal to you seems very different to someone from another Mm -hmm. culture. And sometimes it's really difficult to understand what the problem is or what the hangup is about something. And, And I think that was playing out in the Vulcan story here where Archer can't understand the Vulcan position on this and, and is 
really pushing Oric to do something. And mm-hmm. he's very concerned with saving Topol's career and also right. helping her health. And then on the other side, there's nothing grand at stake at all. But there's still this reaction of, you know, why? Why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the the fun part of this with, and, and the interesting thing about this is, is that with specifically the the Denobulan human story here, I think what it goes to show is just how different cultures obviously have different ideas uh, about different values. And it's not as though uh, the Denobulans don't respect the human values, but, you know, Fiesel is still willing to try to entice Trip into experiencing something with her that that she would love to experience with him and it's not shown as as being wrong or evil or any of those things you know um it's it's not shown really even as you know we're not going down the road of this being harassment or anything else this is just this is normal for denobulants right and it's not normal for somebody like Trip, who's from the deep south and is raised i think with a i would say much more classic sense of of morality you know mm-hmm. he you don't play around with other men's wives you know that it's very uh it's definitely very southern um and very you know something i think both you and i were probably raised in that type of environment well, as yeah. well just from the for deep listeners south. <laughs> who don't know our background matthew and i are both from the south so we're not uh criticizing southerners we're pointing out an aspect exactly. of the culture that we grew up in 100 yeah. percent. yes that that was the culture you know raised in yeah. myself so um so i i very much share that with trip that kind of uncomfort of like having somebody else's wife come on to you and and not understanding right that this is something that is completely normal for denomulans, right? They're and they're very free with with their sexuality, um, and as we know from them, they experience not only having you know three different wives or husbands depending on on which sex you are in, uh, in denobula, but they're also free to pursue enjoyment with others, you know. Um, so, all this to say, I think it it just it creates the opportunity for us as a viewer to be able to explore the ideas of of different cultures and different races and the different things that they hold dear in a very serious way and a very fun way in the same episode, which is, like you said, I think very smart in that it is well-written because each part of the episode is actually helping and reinforcing the other but just from a different perspective Uh, and Mm -hmm. i think that's actually really really smart because it's it's something that we we should be willing to do and whereas what we see on the denobulan side which is trip is he confronts flocks gets to the bottom through communication uh, and understanding, and then politely declines. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the other side, what do we see? It, it takes, uh, you know, somebody revealing a secret. It takes somebody, um, you know, losing their ability to practice medicine, losing their job. But in in each way, like 
both things are very important. So, yeah, that was a really long, rambling answer, but I just it, there's so much in in the way that this episode is so interconnected, which mm-hmm. is actually great for the story. Well, I think it's very deftly written because the Denobulan Fiesel trip side of the story is written in such a way that it very much feels like a B-plot, the traditional mm-hmm. A-plot, yeah. B-plot Star Trek story. But its importance is a lot higher than the B-plot of an episode usually is. But it doesn't necessarily feel that way. It certainly doesn't feel that way the first time that you watch, because the mm-hmm. A-plot with the Pinar Syndrome is so serious and has such an impact on the lives of the people involved that it really overwhelms the B story. And the B story feels like it's there for comic relief because in that type of episode, you really can use a little bit of comic Mm -hmm. relief here and there. Otherwise, it's just too heavy overall. But in reality, the, the B plot, as we're saying, is playing the same role and it's reinforcing the A plot, and vice versa. So I think that this episode is very deftly written and maybe isn't fully appreciated until you've watched it a few times Mm -hmm. and you really take in everything that's going on. In the case of Eurus, the Vulcan, who finally helps to pull and sacrifices, or potentially, anyway, sacrifices his career, to pull is going to go and try to save him. The fact that uh, he comes out to help was, again, I think a twist. The first time that you see the story, you're not expecting, because I think that the actor does a really good job of playing Eurus as being one of the same with the other doctors. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, it's that story of someone who has gotten themselves on the inside and is... I think trying to do good from the inside, but doing it very, very cautiously and probably in a way that isn't uh, enough to help mm-hmm. the cause. Uh, right. But when put into a situation where they must do something, then he steps up and he helps to pull. And then to Paul's reluctance to reveal the fact that uh, she was essentially raped, and that's how she got this uh, disease, contracted this disease, is also an interesting element of the story here because she feels the need to hide that to protect not the person who uh, did this to her, which was Tolaris, and we didn't mention this yet, actually, that this is a great tie-in to an earlier episode from season one, Fusion, where they encounter the group of Vulcans called the Vitash Katur, who are kind of free-willing Vulcans, I guess. But one thing that at least some of them can do is practice these mind melds, and Tolaris was one of those. And he did that to her to help her have new experiences and open up to emotions. But he was infected with Pinar syndrome, and then that was passed to her. Mm-hmm. And so the, the central element of stigma is the fact that the doctors think that she's one of these people, and they think that she goes around 
practicing mind melds when in reality she didn't and it was forced on her, but she doesn't want to reveal that because she doesn't want to protect Tolaris, but she wants to protect people who would be persecuted because they have this natural right. ability to perform mind melds. So she has a, a much more open-minded view of Vulcan society, which is interesting because it's not something that we would have expected from T'Pol at the beginning of the series. But as her character has evolved, we see that in her, and perhaps it comes from her experience of serving with humans so long. But the the part of the story where both Eurus and T'Pol are very resistant to speaking up, they want to stay behind the curtains, maybe in Eurus's case to protect himself, and in T'Pol's case, I don't know if she's so concerned about protecting herself, but she's concerned about protecting the group. Right. Uh, but in the end, they they decide to speak up, and I think it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. But what did you think about that aspect of the story? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the most interesting thing about this is this is where the the story it, it stops necessarily being um an allegory for what we face here uh for humanity and is is really a, a big part f- of the story for Star Trek Vulcans and the fact that they have lost this ability because they have actually stopped practicing it. That's something we'll learn later, is that they've actually... This this is actually a birthright of all Vulcans. Um, it's mm-hmm. just um, been lost because it became a stigma somehow, which my guess is is that it became a stigma because it, it allowed you to... It allowed you basically to share emotions... Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and feelings and those kind of things, which you know, we we know Vulcans suppressed, uh, because of everything that had happened to them. So you know, I, I think this it, it it all makes perfect sense as to why this is the case, but this allows us to see inside of the Vulcan people and that they've actually lost part of themselves uh, and they're afraid of it. And this, this, this is where I think, you know, obviously the metaphor kind of breaks down because it is quite different than, than mm-hmm. what they're talking about here for humanity. But I love that, you know, I love the fact that this allows us to peek into the Vulcan society and to be able to see what's happening. And therefore, what to Paul is trying to protect is important because it actually is something that is going to be important for Vulcan society moving forward and to not want to stigmatize these people in any way, shape or form and give the powers that be a reason to continue to do so is so noble. Um, and I think really incredible, uh, for the character to Paul. And it speaks so highly, very quickly of what her character is. And that she is one who cares much more uh, about the whole than just herself. She is definitely mm-hmm. living out the Vulcan axiom of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what makes this such a good story here for the character of T'Pol is, is the way in which it tells us that she is a Vulcan among Vulcans. You know, she is in many ways the most Vulcan we see um, mm-hmm. in the fact that 
truly living out the ideas of what it means to be uh, Vulcan. Um, and, you know, at the same time, too, she's also one who's not afraid to explore new ideas and new things to allow herself to be challenged um, and to broaden her horizons, which is, you know, that's the way we learn, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Vulcans or humans, you know, we have to challenge yeah. our preconceptions and see if they hold up or not. That's that's the point of being out there, right? Yeah. Well, broadening your horizons is a great point because I think that Topol embodies the benefits that you gain when you widen your world. And the Topol that mm-hmm. we saw in Broken Bow seemed like a Topol who had pretty much been in a like, like a narrow path on Vulcan like she was she, com- she completely bought in to the Vulcan view of things and bit by bit by being with humans and getting out and exploring and meeting other species who maybe she had seen before mm-hmm. some she had of course some she hadn't because we have some first contact situations as well but even if she had seen them before, maybe she hadn't interacted with them in the way that she does or did on the missions up to this point with Enterprise. And, you know, I just think of myself. I grew up in Alabama, and I, I actually think about this from time to time. I I live in Japan now. I've lived in Japan for 25 years, but I also lived in Russia. I've been to many countries. I've lived in different parts of the United States and uh, I have friends from all over the place, and and the, a lot of this, most of this, was before the age of podcasting, you know, because now we get together, you know, you and I are on opposite sides of the planet right now. But uh, my point is that when you immerse yourself in various cultures, whether they be different regions of a large country like the United States, or they be countries other than the one in which you were born. And especially when you live there for a long time, your your just your worldview expands so much, and it's so much easier mm-hmm. for you to understand. Or even if you don't agree, you at least can comprehend uh, how different people think about things, and you can put right. yourself in their shoes. And often, even your views do change. You know, you grow to another position or you just have so much more information to work with. And I think that's what we see in Topol from the beginning of the series to this point about halfway through season two. And we don't see that in the Vulcan doctors here. They and their case is kind of interesting too because they are people who probably do get around and go places. I mean the fact that this conference is off world, right? Mm-hmm. But it also speaks a little bit to age, I think, and the challenges of that. Because if you look at Oret, he's obviously a much older Vulcan, and he's very set in his views. And then Eurus is the youngest of the three doctors, and is, you know, he has different views than Oret does. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and expressing those views as Vulcans seems to be something that I think would be very challenging. In their society, because to to have any view that is different, I think would be something that's discouraged. And I think actually you asked earlier about mind melds and maybe why 
that practice was lost. And I, I think the ability to share emotions, like you said, is a key to it. But I think also the ability to more freely communicate with one another through that telepathic link was probably one as well, because the Vulcan government that we see in Enterprise seems to be at a place where finding a way to not allow people to share information in that way would be beneficial for them to stay in power. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense um, as to some of the behind-the-scenes reasons. Um, yeah. You know, I, I also... I think what's interesting is, like you said, the way that this is actually going to play into the future and actually helps build the Vulcans that we're going to meet and the the struggles that they are going to go through as a people. And what I think that this does really well is to help us see how set in their ways they are as a species. And because of that, um, we actually really see um, that being, of course, a big detriment to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that um, can't be dismissed lightly is is just how well I think that this sets up who the Vulcan people are and why they're going to be need, in need of what we see, which is they need a reformation. And mm-hmm. this gives us clearly the reason as to why that's the case. Um, and I think that's really awesome. You know, here we can clearly see that these are people that are in need of a change uh, because they have become so set in their ways. They're not willing to help people in their own society uh, that need help, regardless of necessarily how they feel about them and their actions, you know, and they're not even willing to make any exploration of, of the question. So I think I think that's a really interesting thing, um, and I, I love the fact that this is one of those places where, you know, we talk a lot about on the orb about the ways in which they planted seeds that allowed us to be able to then, you know, move forward in the seasons and created story opportunities for them to pick up later on, and this is one of those seeds that we're planting there with the Vulcans. And, and they've been pretty methodical about that idea, I think, throughout the whole s- uh, series anyway. But I, this is just one more of those seeds. Uh, and I love it. I, I think this is the place where Enterprise had, had learned some of those lessons, I think, specifically from something like Deep Space Nine. And it yeah. really uh, allowed them to be able to have some intercontinuity with the show without necessarily feeling like the whole show was just about being interconnected, which mm-hmm. is exactly the lesson from Deep Space Nine, I think, that you wanted from from Star Trek and for mm-hmm. Star Trek. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it's it's a really great thing to see here, and it, it, it makes for an enjoyable re-watching experience, you know, as we celebrate over 20 years now of Star Trek Enterprise. We're actually getting that benefit and the show works on a rewatch because of these seeds that get planted. Mm -hmm. And I think about how the Vulcans are used in the modern Star Trek series, the current series, and I think about this episode and it's an important part of that. The next generation with unification one and two, and then Mm -hmm. 
this episode and what it establishes about kind of what's happening within the culture. And it's only a glimpse, but you can see that, yeah, there are problems in the culture and how it's progressing, as any culture will have. And But it exists, and it's something that we didn't really have a feel for, certainly in the original series right, or even in The Next Generation. But we get a bit here, and then we get a lot later in this series. And then you jump all the way ahead to Discovery. You've got Unification 3. You've got Navarre. You see how Vulcan society is just evolving over not just the centuries, but millennia. And I think it's just very interesting. And this episode plays an important part in building that all along the way. And then Enterprise especially plays uh, the biggest part in evolving mm-hmm. the Vulcan culture. Yes. All right. Well, that sounds like our final thoughts, actually. So what is your rating <laughs> for this episode, Matthew? Well, you know, uh, I I think that this is a good episode of uh, Star Trek Enterprise that uh, deals with um, some really important issues, but also has a lot of fun doing it as well. And um, so I am going to give this... Four out of five Denobulan pickup lines, uh, and so I I really enjoyed rewatching this. I especially just watching, I especially just kind of enjoyed watching Trip try to deal with this. And and I thought you know it it there's such a stereotype about Trip that he's such a ladies' man, and but mm-hmm. it, it, so many times. He, he doesn't ask for it, right? It just happens to him. It's not even <laughs> right. his fault, you know? And, and clearly here, this is definitely not his fault. Uh, and so, you know, I, I thought that that was, was great. And I, I do love the uh, way that we continue to build the Vulcan society here. But I I'd also think that this is another great episode where um, we are building the bond between first officer and captain and, um, you know, uh, Archer w- really willing to go to bat for mm-hmm. to Paul uh, just shows how much their relationship has progressed. So all in all, yeah, this is a good episode of the series. Yeah, absolutely. And my rating for this episode is is kind of similar to yours. I'm going to give it nine legs under the table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on stigma. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. But if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right on up. If it doesn't, just type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group, so if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. It's a closed group because we don't want it to just be another Facebook group. We want it to be an extension of the conversations that we have here on the podcast. So we do like to keep it there just for listeners. You can also send us email if you'd like. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. And that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And you can also find us in social media, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Our username is trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not initiating the Neutron Stream, where can people find you? 
Well, when that's not happening, uh, of course, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero would love to catch up with you there. You can also find me here on the network. We've got an entire side of the network devoted to all the other fandoms we love, and that's called the 602 Club. So you can join us there. You can also, of course, uh, find the bonus shows this with Snyder Cuts and Assembly Avengers that I do with John Mills in that same feed. Also, uh, Chris, you and I talk about Deep Space Nine on The Orb. We talk about Star Trek Picard on Artificial Tango. We talk about Strange New Worlds on Saddle Up. And then we've got uh, the books and comics show for Star Trek here, Literary Treks, doing that with Casey. So you can find all of those. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I do have a completed show there called Owl Post with Dre Kaufman, talking about all the chapters of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the aforementioned John Mills and I do Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast. Now, Chris, you know, when you're not trying to figure out uh, what movie to watch for movie night, where can people find you? Uh, Yeah, I go to Space Netflix, scroll through, see what's on, see what's new. But when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network doing all the shows together with you, which you mentioned. Also, Larry Nemechek and I do The Ready Room from time to time. And you can find me in lots of episodes of various shows in the back catalog. And if you'd like to chat about Star Trek or whatever, you can find me in social media. Twitter is where I'm most active. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. But that is my username throughout social media. And I'd love to chat with you there. And if you would like to help us keep this show and everything we're doing on the network going, we could definitely use your help to find out how to get involved in the network, how to support us, especially with finances. You can visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us right now because we would not be here without you. And thank you very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to next time when those pesky Andorians come back as we talk about ceasefire. Well, Chris, I'm always excited to have them back, so let's go. 